With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, I'm Eddie Gibbs and welcome to Off The Wall, the podcast where we like to take a look at what's going on over at Anfield Index Pro and give you a little flavour of some of the stuff that we do over on the paywall side of the channel. Just as a reminder, you can get seven days free of Anfield Index Pro anytime. You just have to head to anfieldindex.com forward slash join where you can get a seven day free trial. Now, normally at this time of year, summer silly season, transfer madness uh, usually ensues. Uh, we'd be talking to legends of the club. We'd be talking to analysts. We'd be talking to media about uh, the players that Liverpool are linked to, the uh, strengths and weaknesses of those players who might be incoming, who might be outgoing. But really, there's not really much going on just now. Uh, there's still time, so things may be happening. And of course, uh, AI and AI Pro will be reacting to, uh, to anything that does happen as and when Liverpool have got the ball back out. They've uh, won friendlies uh, uh, at Tranmere and Bradford, and now the uh, team are heading the stateside. Uh, we'll have loads of content. I know Gags is uh, heading over there, so uh, so do keep tuned on that. Now, uh, we've done two big series this summer. First of all, this Let's Talk About Sex. I featured it on the uh, last uh, Off The Wall podcast, and that's Trev Downey being joined by Liverpool fans from around the globe to discuss the glory of that night in Madrid. And uh, it's a fascinating listen with some brilliant stories. Some of them were in Madrid with tickets, some of them in Madrid without tickets, and many of them represented supporters clubs from the different corners of the globe and how they uh, how they enjoyed that night and how it went down in their country. All sorts of cultures, all sorts of backgrounds. It's a fascinating listen. Hopefully uh, one or two more of those shows will be winging their way to you soon as well over on AI Pro. Now, the big series and the one that's received all the critical acclaim, uh, we've had loads of feedback, loads of comments on this. Thank you for them all, both on our Discord community, on Twitter, on Facebook. The series that we've done very differently to anything we've ever done on AI Pro before is called The Kings of Europe. We won it six times now. We've done, uh, there's four parts out so far. Uh, we did two parts on Jurgen Klopp, part one of which I'm going to let you listen to today. And we've also since covered uh, Alison and uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Now, I guess you're kind of working out what the theme of the show is going to be there. We're going to do a, a feature on each player. So we're probably going to have a sort of 12 to 14 part series by the time it's complete. Now, you're going to get to listen to Jurgen Klopp part one here. And this features uh, Jan Molby, Paul Dalglish, Paul Tompkins of the Tompkins Times, Neil Jones of Goal, Graham Hunter, Gab Marcotti, Jonathan Hardin, and of course, Gags Tandon himself. Now, they are contributing on this show. There's different contributors on all sorts of different shows. We've pieced all together. It's been a massive undertaking uh, for, for Gags, uh, especially for Nina Kowser, who's uh, who's pieced all the, uh, the flow of this together. And of course, Trev Downey, who's narrated this superbly. Uh, the edit that Gags is put together both on the intro is and the uh, and the sort of piano acoustic that you get to hear there as well is, is really enjoyable so i'm gonna let you listen to this one and just as a reminder you can sign up to ai pro and listen to all of the kings of europe and all of our other shows completely free it's anfieldindex.com forward slash join over to you trev 
Just what do you do when your team, one of the greatest many of us have ever seen don the red, finishes with 97 points in the Premier League and wins a sixth European Cup? Well, at Anfield and Next Pro, we decided to make a documentary series, something extra special, to celebrate that outstanding achievement. Kings of Europe is a major project which marks a real evolution in the ambitions here at AI Pro, and one that has focused so much of the creative talent and technical skill of the AI team as we've labored to create a series of shows that are a fitting tribute to those men who raised big ears in Madrid. Strap yourself in then for a series of themed episodes with contributions from a host of familiar voices tied together by a series of links delivered to you by me from a field in rural Ireland. I'm Trev Downey and it'll be my great honour to guide you through our celebration of the Kings of Europe. Two goalkeeping errors tonight by Karius and Costa. Jurgen Klopp is, in the opinion of this Irishman, the best thing to have happened to Liverpool Football Club since the signing of Kenny Dalglish in 1977. From the moment the bearded Swabian breezed into the club with his spirit-shocking laugh and profound statements about turning doubters into believers, it was clear that Klopp just gets it. He's a rare breed of charisma, innovative talent and decency, and this unusual alchemy has created a man that fits the culture of Liverpool in a way that has not been seen since Dalglish stood on the sidelines in that oversized match coat in the 80s. In the first of a two-part special on our manager, you will hear from Jan Mulby, Paul Dalglish, Gabriella Marcotti, Graham Hunter, Neil Jones, Paul Tompkins, Jonathan Harding and Gags Tandon. Now we all went into the Champions League final, a strange mix of confidence and trepidation, especially given the context of the sequence of lost finals under Klopp. We asked our contributors just what the significance of this trophy success was for the manager and what it says about him as a coach. Jan Malby in particular seems delightfully sanguine about how he always thought we'd get back to it. But first up is the aforementioned Mr. Tandon. What can I say about Jurgen Klopp? That's probably not already been said. I think the one thing is probably what we can say is that he's made our dreams come true because, you know, he's made us from doubters to believers, which is his main goal when he joined the club. He's he's totally one of the best human beings that could be involved with a football club. Um, whenever he talks, you listen. However he reacts on the side of the pitch, you can tell it's 100% genuine. There is nothing fake about Jurgen Klopp. 
and for him to be involved with our football club with the football club we love you know he's now gone down in legend he's now going to have his face next to those other four five maybe that have won the biggest biggest honors at this and he deserves it he really does like when he joined i can't tell you where we were we were in the dumps and this brand, Anfield Index, it was producing some of the most, I think, depressing, depressing content we probably ever have because we just wanted out. We wanted out. We wanted fresh. We wanted to be back where we are. And just, what, three and a half years later, four years, whatever it is, it's an, it's an unbelievable journey. It's an unbelievable record what he's produced and how he's he's done it with by using you know just the players he had at his disposal to sell them to you know how he's bought you know the the, the ridiculously low net spend in comparison to everybody else it's it's a job in modern football that i don't think has been done going up against a manchester city with unlimited resources and almost getting them over the line to beat that you know, team that we don't even know what's going on with that team, what they've done, how they've done what they've done. But let's focus on ourselves and what Klopp has done is remarkable. I am surprised that Jurgen Klopp made back-to-back Champions League finals just because it's so difficult to do um, for any manager of any team. Uh, but I think I'm... I think it proves that Jurgen Klopp's approach to coaching and Jurgen Klopp's uh, ability to match or to be suited the, and to be the right match for Liverpool is is spot on, and it and it and it shows that he is the perfect manager for this football club. I think I'm delighted that he has won this title because I have wanted him to achieve this moment for a long time, just as a someone who respects him greatly as a person and and as a manager. I don't know, as I say, whether I really expected him to to get back to to a final again because it's such a hard thing to achieve because so few managers can do it. Um, But I think it proves, as I say, that he is the perfect coach for Liverpool and also that Liverpool under him are now one of the best teams in the world. And I think for a long time that wasn't the case. So I think it's testament to Klopp as a manager, but it's also testament to where he has taken Liverpool and Liverpool are without doubt now back at, at the top of the world. It takes a lot for anyone to make consecutive uh, Champions League final appearances. Uh, but I think last year, and I'm talking about the year when we lost 3-1 against Real Madrid in the final, I think we all thought that, you know, we're on the way to building something that's very, very special here. So, was I surprised second time around? A little bit, uh, because I thought that the Premier League at some stage would take preference. But in the end, when you look at the way that we... I wouldn't say we cruised through Europe because we had to win that vital uh, last home against Napoli. But I just think that we got the hallmarks of a really, really good and a strong team. So, of course, it's a massive achievement, but it's something that we've been building up towards. And something I always felt with the way that things were going, with, with Klopp's tactics and the way that we've been buying players and getting almost everyone on them spot on, I always thought we would get back to something like being this good again. I think there's a certain degree of of randomness to to, to knockout football. Um, you know, so many things can go 
one way or another. So in, in, in some ways, you would look at it and say, well, he's been a little bit fortunate to reach the two consecutive finals. Um, you know, given that it came down to a late, late Allison save that Liverpool didn't even get, you know, get through the, 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 the group stage, right, uh, this year. Or indeed, you think back to the comeback against Barcelona or, or whatnot. On the other hand, um, and, and I think this is the real merit to, to Klopp and, and to Liverpool, you have to be there for when those windows of opportunity, that, that stroke of, of good fortune, um, you know, that moment of, of individual brilliance, uh, you know, presents itself. And I kind of feel that even through the ups and downs, and everybody knows about the series of away defeats and, and whatnot, Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool was was pretty much always there, and and they were always there, ready to 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 to, to seize that moment. Um, was there is was there an element of randomness and good luck? Of course there is, but you have to be there to be able to get it. And uh, and Liverpool were there were there throughout uh, you know these, these two seasons under Jurgen Klopp. The the defeats in the previous finals is something that Jurgen was very aware of, and he referenced plenty of times during the previous season and Jordan during the current season just gone. I mean, he, you know, he almost owned that, that narrative, if you like, by, by referencing it and by making light of it, albeit, you know, we do know that it, it was a source of huge frustration for him and I'm, I'm sure a source of concern as well. But if you think back to, to the morning after the, the Kiev final and, and the video that obviously was shared very widely about him singing and drinking in his kitchen and, you know, it was the, it was the, the demeanour of a man who, who certainly didn't have long-term concerns about about the, the, the capability of his squad or, or even himself. I think he had a lot of trust in in his um, in his, his capability and and also in in what he had at his disposal. And of course, that was going to be strengthened again that summer, as it was quite significantly. And I can remember going on tour in, in the summer with with Liverpool to America, and from the just from the first sort of training session that we witnessed over in uh, in Charlotte. In in the, uh, the the stadium there, it was there was just something about Liverpool that just they felt like a team. Do you know when you see a boxer walking to the ring and you just think they're definitely going to win tonight? You know they're, they're just that that sort of capability of they they just they they, they looked like they believed in themselves. They looked like they knew their, their own strength and their own power. And I think you know I I wrote a few articles that summer saying that you know it'll take some stopping this Liverpool team this season. And you know for once I uh, I got it right. With Klopp making the the final again this year in the Champions League, I think I don't know if I've ever felt as much pressure for a manager after the you know the six you know it was coming such a big deal the six you know consecutive finals lost, and yet in those in those cases he you know a couple of them perhaps you know one with Dortmund and maybe the the one uh, against. The Europa League against Sevilla, perhaps Liverpool and Dortmund should have won, but most of them, you know, he was kind of big underdogs. Everything that went wrong in the 2018 Champions League final, you know, just, you know some players were missing, Salah um, getting injured so early, um, Carius, uh, you know, everyone at the club seems to think he was concussed. He was definitely caught on the head by Ramos's elbow. So it just felt, and then after the league season, which is just, just, just insane. And I just had this complete sense of dread that he wasn't going to win 
again, not, you know, and it, it would be something perhaps unfair. You know, it, Liverpool really deserved something major this season and to, to have not got that would have been would have been sickening. And I think, I, you know, I felt that pressure. I imagine what people at the club felt. Um, and so it was kind of an incredible achievement. And I think also a lot of the work I do, you know, I've, I've looked into how much cup runs take out of league form on average. And then I've looked at particularly the Champions League and there's only been one English finalist that hasn't sort of suffered some league form, you know, some, some league damage whilst reaching the final. Um, because of all the extra games, particularly the quarterfinals, semifinals, you're playing so many kind of crazy games around that time. You almost always drop league points. And so to actually get 97 league points and reach and then win the Champions League final is, I, I think it's up there with one of the great, you know, one of the greatest achievements in, you know, in English football history because of the, you know, the, um, just the overall sort of quality in the two main competitions. Um, and, you know, after, after the disappointment of last year to, to, to get, well, see, part of me thinks that actually losing last year, it, it's a, it's a, it's a help, you know, this, this, this season just gone because, you know, Klopp is someone who can use that disappointment. Um, but even so, you know, midway through the, the season, I was only thinking about the champion, about the Premier League, not thinking about the, the Champions League at all. It just seemed like, you know, seemed miles away. It didn't seem like it was possible. Um, and we had, you know, just about scraped out the group, had Bayern in the next round and kind of thought, oh, you know, this isn't going to, this isn't going to happen. Obviously then losing 3-0 in Barcelona and just thought, well, you know, this isn't going to happen. Focus on the league, focus on the league. Um, and yeah, so it was a, it was an incredible um, turnaround and the league form didn't drop away either, which was just, which was just stunning. So yeah, it just, just, um, you know, a brilliant achievement all round. Quite controversial from Mr. Mark Hottie there with his talk of good fortune. But if this was, as Paul Tompkins has just said, one of the greatest achievements in English football history, what is it about our manager that made him the man to lead us to it? We all know that Jurgen Klopp is a media lightning rod. His personality and charm are often unjustly the only things mentioned by certain unimaginative analysts, who seem almost to diminish his profound achievements since joining Liverpool by focusing on the hugs and the sideline animation. There is so much more to our manager than that. Let's hear what it is that makes him unique, beginning with Paul Dalglish's salesman analogy. I think his personality make him unique, but I don't think that it's fair to say that that's the only thing that makes him unique. Um, his tactics aren't really replicated anywhere else in, in world football there's people that that will play high pressing but there's not many people there's not many teams that do it the same way that Liverpool do so you've got to and, and what people what people don't understand is Jürgen, people say oh Jurgen Klopp's a motivator he's he's this when when uh when his assistant left they said oh that was the brain the, the, the Jurgen you know that's going to be a big loss but if anything Liverpool have got better since since he left, you can't underestimate the the intelligence and the 
and the tactical knowledge that Jurgen has. Um, but for me, I, I, the more I learn about football, the the more I understand that a manager really needs to be a salesman. And the club needs to have a methodology, which I think Liverpool have now. And the, the manager in charge is basically the, the salesman in charge of delivering that methodology, that identity. And Jurgen Klopp's personality helps him sell that message to players and fans better than anybody else in, in world football, in my opinion. Um, you know, if you look at if you look at uh Guardiola, you would you would argue the same. You would argue that he can sell his ideas to fans, although they're different to Jurgen Klopp. He can sell his ideas to fans and players, and people buy in, because the only way that the only way that you can your it doesn't really matter how good your ideas are if you can't convince players to implement them, or you can't convince fans to buy into them. And Jurgen Klopp for me is the best salesman of his ideas in world football at this moment in time, and his results. Um, in terms of the improvement of Liverpool season after season, the amount of points we got last year, two Champions League finals in a row, you know, back that up. I, I've hated the way that uh, Klopp's been personified over recent years. And Mourinho bears a role in this, that um, he's a loser because he keeps losing finals. Well, people forgot about the Bundesliga he won. People forgot about the German Cups that he won. And I think that you must, must value reaching Champions League finals, reaching League Cup finals, finishing close to elite uh, leaders in the Premier League as substance. And I think that Klopp has, for a long, long time, been in an exceptional coach. I think that he's been somebody who, for the majority of his coaching career, hasn't had to make do, but hasn't been given the resources that, for example, we've seen at Manchester United, we've seen at Paris Saint-Germain, we've seen at Barcelona, Real Madrid, and that recently we've seen at Manchester City. There's no doubt that the club's been given a budget, that, that Liverpool has spent well, um, and that there'll be many, many clubs jealous of the resources that Klopp's had at his disposal. But I think if you lump together Dortmund and Liverpool, he's always had to be a guy who's taking players and saying I'll make more of you rather than signing players saying yeah I know I'm signing the best right now and it's just a case of man management to make sure they're hungry therefore I've always viewed him very very strongly as a clever agile tactically aware coach there's a little example in the final um, I saw I I don't want to I'm not bombing myself up with this answer but I, I saw that because Liverpool's midfield wasn't functioning particularly well, the idea was to get Eriksen back on the ball deep, and put him in next to Sissoko, remove Winks, get Moura on, and play him to have pace, somebody for Eriksen to pass to. So Eriksen, rather than being up sort of in his ten position with his back to go back to the play sometimes, and turning and holding the ball, you wanted him on the quarterback position and trying to take advantage of the fact that for 45 minutes Liverpool's midfield was working hard but not firing. And and I saw that at halftime, and I thought that's and eventually it's the change that Pochettino made. I think in 66 minutes, 
Prior to that, Klopp made two changes. Two changes that changed the dynamics of the game. Shored up problems. Made a move quickly and intelligently, having seen something. And he didn't dilly-dally around. I like that very much indeed. And therefore, what I think of him as a coach is that I think he's got the the on-training pitch ability to build a, a playing system, to build an idea. And I think he explains it well. But not every coach has his personality. And I think his personality shouldn't obscure that he's tactically uh, modern and clever and high quality. But he does have a personality that gets more out of people. And when you're near it, as we were when we interviewed him, you're struck by it. And he's funny. And you would give everything for a player, a, a guy like that. Therefore, I think Liverpool have got... Um, more than the sum of the parts. Two plus two equals five in the case of her Jurgen Klopp. What makes Klopp unique, I think, are are part of the the the, the, the I like to think of sort of the the three components that to me make up uh, make up a manager and that are part of a of a manager's job. So, you know, you obviously you have you you have the idea component, the the, the tactical component, the thoughts of the manager and the way he he wants to work. And obviously, the better, the more sophisticated it is, uh, and, and Klopp's is is very sophisticated. Um, that's one element, and he does that very well. The second part is being able to to get the players to buy into it, being able to take that idea, however brilliant, however complicated it may be, or simple, and and get it through to the players, so that the players can can go and execute it on the pitch. And and that's something that you know we often. We often ignore it. It does you no good to have the most brilliant approach in the universe if the players don't buy into it or you're not good at relating it to the players. And I think he's exceptional um, at that part. And the third element is, especially in English football, the manager is the outward-facing um, aspect of, of the club, right? He, he, he represents the club. He represents, I don't like to use this word, but it is a reality in modern football. He represents the brand of the club. He represents what the club wants to stand for. And I think Klopp has perfectly embraced that. Um, you know, Klopp feels right for Liverpool um, to, you know, in, in a way that, that doesn't always happen with managers, even successful managers. And, you know, the fact that he's galvanized everybody, the, the, the fact that um, right now the relationship is, is, is so good that he represents the message that, that Liverpool as, as, as a public trust, as an entity, um, as a brand, are trying to get across, um, that's pretty critical. So I think it's those three elements that, you know, whether it's just a natural fit, whether Klopp understands the situation and maybe tailors his his messaging a little bit in, in that direction, I'm not sure. But, you know, he, he certainly fits like a glove right now. I think what makes Jurgen Klopp such a unique coach is that he really is who he is. Um, and I think, you know, there's no, I, I just don't have any doubt that who he is with the press and with the football club is who he is in real life. His authenticity is what makes him extremely unique. I think it's not that easy to do. And I, I think it's more often than not, I think a lot of managers can opt for a slightly different appearance in the media than how they are in real life. But I think Jurgen Klopp is authentic. And I think that translates extremely well to the community of Liverpool Football Club. 
Um, and I think it translates extremely well to the players that play in his team. Uh, every player that I've ever spoken to who has played under him or who has experience of working with him or knows him, have, they've all said that it's his ability to make him feel like one of them. And there's never really been this sort of hierarchy. Of course, he's the coach and he has the bottom line, but there's never been a difficult... There's never been a feeling of authenticity, that a negative authenticity um, or a negative authority even about about his management style. I've always found that extremely refreshing. It's hard to know who is really who these days in the press, when that, whether that's players or managers, but he certainly feels very authentic. He has an extremely human approach to coaching. He understands to get the best out of his players. He needs to understand them as people. He understands the importance of the Liverpool um, community in some sense the connection that needs to happen there I think Anfield wouldn't be what it is today really wasn't for him and what he's done to change that environment I think it's a huge credit to to the football club and I I think he he's the best German manager of of the modern era um, and that's because of his authenticity and, and the way that he coaches you know, people talk about managers and footballers having auras, you know, inverted commas. And I think Jürgen definitely does. He's a, you know, he's a big, big guy, obviously, and he's a loud guy and he's a very, you know, persuasive arguer. And he, you know, he, he has a lot of, um, wonderful turns of phrase, which is even more remarkable given it's a second language. But he's also got an authenticity about him that you think, you know, you don't get the impression. I certainly never do that he's putting an act on. I never get the impression that he's, he's dumbing down. You know, or, or he's he's becoming a chameleon to the room, and you know, performing for the for the camera or performing for you know a certain audience. And if you compare him to maybe someone like Brendan Rodgers, who went before, who didn't have that that body of work and that body to, to fall back on, uh, you know, at an area club, I think he he sometimes struggled with the idea that you don't have to impress everyone all the time. You don't have to play up. You don't have to perform a certain act. In a press conference or in a, in a, in a post-match interview or whatever, and I think I think that's been the key difference. You know, if you look at if you look at the season that, that Brendan had and the talent that he had, he actually he done as good a job almost as Klopp has done in some in that thirteen fourteen season. But he wasn't able to sustain it because when you're not authentic and when you don't have that that sort of authority about you, it will only last so long, and it, it's also a lot more. Um, you know, you're a lot more a hostage to fortune if you're in that sense. So I think Klopp has got the perfect mix. You know, I think you look at you look at Mourinho in his early his early days at Chelsea and Porto. I think that was that was certainly one that you'd say you'd say Guardiola has got that mix. Probably someone like Simeone at Atletico Madrid certainly has had that. Ferguson certainly did, and I think Jurgen Klopp falls into those categories of of someone that all players respect. They fit, they fear and admire, but they also know that there's a, a genuine human there as well. Klopp's coaching, I think, I think the the coaching and the recruitment are kind of more tied into one than ever before. Um, I, I think the the it's not the, the recruitment is proving so successful for a number of reasons, and it's it's just really interesting to see so many signings be successful and improve as players and so you have to kind of think you know is this all kind of linked together um in the last couple of years having read um rafa honigstein's excellent book on um on clock 
and about the the kind of you know the recruitment process at Dortmund um and then just just some of the things I've been reading aside from that it kind of made made me think about um the sort of psychological term growth mindset you know versus the, the talent myth in that a lot of people think that players are are kind of set in stone he's a great player he's not a great player so he's talented he's not talented and so you can get to the idea that it's all about the talent you buy talented players but then you know look at man united how many talented players they've bought you know it's not it's not working. The, the, the idea of a growth mindset is that you can you can continually improve, and you can look at someone like Andy Robertson on this. You know, so many Liverpool players um, were pretty mediocre at the start of their careers. You know, at, at 21, Salah wasn't much, Mane wasn't much, Firmino, Robertson. You know, so it's it's not the idea of talent is yes, you need some talent, and if you and if you are better at a younger age, you probably stand more chance of going on to better things. But at the same time, that's not set in stone. And so the idea of a growth mindset is that you can continually improve players. Now, studies show that, you know, there's all the talk of the 10,000 hour rule. But the, the thing about doing something for 10,000 hours to become an expert is that you could do something really casually for 10,000 hours and it wouldn't make you world class at what you're doing the way to improve is to put in those hours but with more intensive practice so if you're if you are being tested the more you're being tested the greater your scope for improvement so and it's all kind of comes into one um in the first of all liverpool uh, Klopp has had this um, policy before at Dortmund, presumably he and Michael Edwards have it now, but which is which is no dickheads, okay? You, you do not buy dickheads. Um, and by that, that can mean just bad trainers. Um, so someone like, you, you, you take Lazar Markovic, um, when he was signed at 20, at the, you know, the world at his feet, this was obviously un, under Rodgers, um, but there were kind of rumblings coming out beforehand that he's not, yeah, he's not a particularly good trainer. And, and obviously you've got someone like Mario Balotelli famously, you know, trying to score own goals in training. Um, guys like this, it doesn't matter how talented they are. If they're not working, if they're not working hard in training. They are not helping everyone else. Now, one of Klopp's questionnaires when, when they were signing players, this may have even gone back to Mainz, was they would ask, um, a, a prospective signing, you know. Okay, so you come in. Are you are you, you going to be happy if you don't train particularly hard, but you score two goals at the weekend? Are you are you that kind of player? And if they said yes, then it's like right, you're a dickhead. Get out of here. You know, it, it because if you score two goals at the weekend, you're helping the team in that particular moment. But if you're not being part of the intense training you are not helping the rest of the players, if that makes sense. Because this is this comes back to the social multiplier effect, which is also called the Flynn effect, which is the idea that if you know, so so if you need to be doing high quality training to improve, 
But the better the players you are training against, as long as their attitude is equally good, then it becomes a virtual, you know, a virtuous cycle. Um, you know, Liverpool and Dortmund's training was famously intense, and there are actually quotes from Dortmund players saying that often the the games, the, the twenty minute games they had on a Friday, were often more difficult than the games at the weekend. So it's this whole kind of philosophy. You know, you you, you definitely definitely check the the, the personality of, of of the players. Are they going to work hard in training? If everybody works hard in training, that improves everybody else. That sets a high standard. Um, and, then, and it's just this kind of um, everything kind of feeds into to everything else. So, you know, Klopp is a brilliant motivator. Um, but also, I think he's kind of the people he's worked with have been on kind of like the, the tactical you know, forefront, the gegenpressing in Germany, the way that the the, the, the tactics have evolved in uh, Liverpool. You know, it's not just it's not just motivation. It's not just you know, sort of being a great man manager, which he clearly is, because that's another thing: is that if you're going to train incredibly hard all week, and and some players aren't going to make the team, you know, you need a, a really good man manager to keep everybody at that level do you know what i mean it's quite easy to fall off um so you know so i think that it's just this sort of brilliant harmony at liverpool at the moment between klopp and edwards and everybody else involved in this, the scouting and ian, ian graham's work uh you know and the actual kind of the the video scouting the the the, the, the traditional scouting to bring in the right kinds of players and then not just Klopp and not just, you know, and you've got Pep Linders, who's, you know, is incredibly important as well. It, you know, so it's everything that goes on that, 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 that people don't see, and which is why sometimes Klopp will pick someone who's just been training especially well, because it is all about, it was all about the preparation and the training. It was very heartening to hear both Neil Jones and Jonathan Harding talk there about the manager's authenticity, a trait that only enhances his status in the game and, as a result, the status of the club. One of the most exciting aspects of this Champions League win was the role played by recruits that probably could not have been made before this very elevation in Liverpool's global stature. We asked our contributors to speak about Klopp's recruitment, the team he has assembled around him, and his management of the significant funds supplied by the owners. We just heard Mr. Tompkins' colourful assessment of the manager's profiling technique when it comes to new signings. Listen now as Gabriella Marcotti begins this segment with a mention of the manager's ability to delegate. One of the things that strikes me about Klopp and, and his recruitment, and you know, I think this is the the, the Ralph Honigstein points it out um, in his in his book on on, on Jurgen Klopp and, and, and elsewhere. Um, one of the things that strikes you is that while he obviously has a ton of input into who Liverpool sign and, and how they go about things, um, he has the humility to operate as part of a team. He has the humility to know, unlike many managers, um, especially in England. He has the humility to know that, you know what, I don't know everything about every player on other teams. I know about the guys on my team. I know about the guys I've worked with. I know about 
um, what my team needs. And I'm willing to, to, to step aside. I'm willing to, you know, let trust other people who are part of this recruitment process, whether obviously at Liverpool, whether it's Michael Edwards, the, the, the scouts, the other people, and I'm willing to kind of put my faith in their hands. And, you know, what I brought up before, the ultimate example of this, of course, is the signing of Mohamed Salah. You know, he wanted to sign Julian Brandt. It's, it's pretty much, you know, it's, it's an accepted fact. That was the guy he wanted. He was unsure of, of Salah for, for probably many of the same reasons that others were unsure of Salah. You know, he, he was not the most disciplined player. He was not the most composed player. Um, while you could see there's a tremendous player in there, you know, a guy like Brandt would have probably fit his system and what he wanted to do um, better than Salah. Or at least that was his thinking at the time. Um, but for whatever reason, you know, the club had very strong views on Mohamed Salah. Um, and they went for it. And then his attitude was, okay, what do I have? What potential can I unlock? I'm going to trust them. Um, where can we go with this? And I think everybody knows where they went uh, with, with Salah at that stage. So, I mean, to me, that that's just one example. Obviously, uh, there, there are others. Uh, what strikes you about about the recruitment and sometimes clubs can't even sort of you know they don't always transition very well to having bigger budgets and, and operating uh, at a higher level is i'm not saying they went for for safe bets because look let's face it nabi keita was not 100 percent a safe bet there was a lot of risk involved there the others you know you look at a guy like fabinho and you figure all right, what's the worst thing that happens here? You know, he just turns into a guy who sits in midfield and just runs around and defends. Um, we need somebody like that. You know, Allison, yeah, it was a ton of money. But you look at his age profile, you look at his, um, uh, you know, you look at his achievements today, you can argue whether they could have spent less, but nobody was really going to argue with that. Um, Shakiri as well, when you think about it, it's kind of a low-risk situation. It gives you some quality, gives you something different. Uh, you're not spending a ton of money. It's not one of those crazy five-year contracts. So I, I think, and again, to what degree this was Klopp, to what degree this was, uh, you know, the other people responsible for recruitment there, I, I think his approach to it was the right approach. He went for, effectively, he went for specialists. You know, maybe the only guy you might not consider specialist again is is Keita, where that is more of a gamble, that is more of a high upside situation. Keita is the kind of player that analytics types absolutely love, um, but you know he bought into that system, and um, and I think you know we saw that it was a it was a resounding success. I think Klopp's recruitment has aided his ability to succeed as a manager i think that's true of any manager who wants to succeed they need to have the right players brought in and ultimately you know you can only really achieve something with with top quality players klopp has been able to recognize the weaknesses in his team if you look at loris carrius last season he recognized despite giving him multiple opportunities that he wasn't going to be the goalkeeper that he needed so he was able to go out into the market and get the goalkeeper that he needed and he was given the support financially but also, you know, as a manager, he was given the support to be able to make those decisions. Um, the same is true of Naby Keita and Fabinho in midfield and, and having more depth out wide with Sheridan Shakiri coming in is also, you know, the kind of signing that gives him depth that he needs and, and quality and depth at that. 
I mean, yeah, he obviously has more money to play with now than he did at Borussia Dortmund. But I think, you know, the Premier League in that sense is, an, is beyond comparison when it comes to finance. And I, I think you can't even begin to think about what he might have had at Borussia Dortmund because if you want to be quite crude, you know, probably teams like Brighton and Hove, Brighton and Hove Albion probably have similar amounts of money to spend as teams like Borussia Dortmund, which is, which is kind of crazy because it shouldn't be that way. But that's the Premier League for you. I think he's done very well, but I think he's also done very well in appointing the right people around him. He's got an extremely talented staff who are looking at the right factors, who are analysing the right numbers. And I think he's recognised that. He is also someone who who knows that he can't know everything. So what he's done is gone out and got a level of competence and expertise in the right areas to make sure that Liverpool make the right signings. And their Champions League success is proof that they have done absolutely that. I find the whole setup with, with, with the recruitment team and Jurgen Klopp, I, I find it mind-blowing. I think we've discussed this before on the podcast about the recruitment team and when they bought for Brendan Rodgers and Brendan was criticising the buying policy and, and, and the recruitment team was adamant. He said, there's nothing wrong with the players. We bought the players a spot on. So I think what the recruitment team do is they work very, very hard at identifying players. And then obviously Klopp's come in late in those discussions and he goes, I like him, I don't like him. Uh, and also... There will be, there has to be a, a sort of a feel. The manager has to have a feel for what he sees. I think when you look at players, you you, you learn a lot. You know, you look at the way, just the way that they walk, the way that the body language is, the way you think they might fit in or they might not fit in, how often they smile or more importantly, how often they don't smile. All those things is like, I think they're all things that Jurgen Klopp, with, without spending an awful lot of time, but makes those decisions in his own head. He goes, I like him. I don't like him. I'm not sure about him. Uh, so I have to say that the recruitment team and Jurgen Klopp has been nothing short of, of sensational. I think it's it's probably the best setup any club in Europe currently has in terms of finding the right players and then within a relatively short time, integrating them into to the, to the group, integrating them into the team uh, and then further improve them. I think it's been sensational. The key thing that you'd say about the recruitment at Liverpool and, and the way it's worked since Klopp has been in is there's been far less noise around it and there's been far less focus on the idea that it, certain things have to happen and, and, and excuses made and uh, you know held up as a thing. I mean, you remember his first transfer window. Klopp came in in, Jan- in, the, in obviously in the October and in the January. He didn't sign a player. I mean, he, he set up a couple of deals for the following year. But a lot of people thought that Liverpool were in a position where uh, they were so poor, you know, this had failed, this had failed, and Brendan Rodgers' team that he'd left, they needed five or six signings straight off the bat, and, you know, Klopp would go in in January and do this and that. And he didn't. He, he had a good look at his squad. He, he's got a... I think there's a, a an adult way that he deals with things where he would always rather look to within for solutions first and foremost, and then obviously, and only then, if, if it's if it's deemed they're not there, that he'll go, and, he'll go into the transfer market. And I think... What one thing you certainly can't can't question, which you could, I think, under the previous manager, is that the, the recruitment team, the scouting staff, the the sporting director, as it is now, and the manager are on the same page, and there's a there's a, a connection there between the two that, that that certainly wasn't there for the previous couple of seasons before that. But what you can also say as well is that they certainly know how to a spot a player, b spot a player who fits into the style of of the of the manager and the club. And then see once the players in the door find a way to to make them 
settled and comfortable very quickly uh, at the club. And you know, you look at the hits and misses if if you like to go to go a bit sort of, you know, um, tabloidy about it. But the hits and misses at Liverpool over the, over Klopp's reign are a lot more hits than misses. Here's the thing: so people will look back and go, okay, the the last few transfers have been so, or the last in recent the recent transfers have been so. Um, they've been so positive. They've been, they've ev- like most of them have worked. And people will say, oh, the, it's the they're trying to credit. People like to attach credit to certain people to because it 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 makes it simpler to understand. What you've got to understand with 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 Liverpool is that. The reason that we've been able to spend money is because we got 50 million for Torres, we got 75 million for for Suarez, we got 100 and however many million for Coutinho. So that money allowed us to go and reinvest that money. Now, what Liverpool have also done is they have increased their they have increased their reputation throughout the world. So more players want to join Liverpool. So the reason that the transfers have been so successful is one because the manager's personality people want to want to come and play for him but also because liverpool have improved their standing in world football so in the past maybe the transfer targets that were written on the board or were in a in a in a document were were, were equally as excellent as the players that we brought in but maybe they didn't want to come. So, for instance, maybe maybe before Eden Hazard signed for Chelsea, maybe where Liverpool were, were interested. But because Liverpool weren't a club that people wanted to join at the time, ahead of Chelsea or, or whoever else, Barcelona, Real Madrid, maybe we had to sign our third or fourth choice in that position. So what we've got to now is now we've got to a stage where when when we write our depth chart and we write, okay, this is the player we're tracking in that position, we can get that player now. And the other thing that 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 is really important is the the patience of the manager and the patience of the club to to wait for the player that they want. So if you think when we never got Van Dyke. Um, uh, before you know, in the in the summer before he came, and the transfer window came and went, and the majority of Liverpool's fan base was, we, oh, this is, we we need a centre back, we need a centre back, we we need to go and sign a centre back. And what gave me great confidence was the security and the confidence and the patience that the manager showed and backed by the club to go. Do you know what? I'm not going to waste any money on somebody I quite like. I'm going to wait for the player that I really want for that position. And I'll make do with what I've got until I can get that person. Then you end up with Van Dyke. And what, what's been so impressive is when you when you go and break a world record for a defender and you break a world record for a goalkeeper, most people in world football can, can see that these players are good players. And what Liverpool have done is they've gone, this is the guy we want. Now we're in a position that we can attract them. The owners have gone, 
I don't care what they cost. If that's the guy, we're getting him. And the only way we can now make that jump from second to first in the Premier League is by taking that approach. And that concludes part one of this two-part Jurgen Klopp special of Kings of Europe. I've been Trev Downey and you've just been listening to some of our fantastic guests telling you in their own inimitable ways that Liverpool, under Klopp, to quote my mate Jan Mulby, has the best setup of any club in Europe. Now, if you'll excuse me, I've got to go and sing the fields of Anfield Road at obnoxious and unbearable volume. Keep your eyes peeled and your ears pinned back for news of part two of this special, which will be with you presently. Wow, wow, wow. What did you think of that? Something completely different. I'm sure you've heard nothing else like that before, certainly from Anfield Index, and uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Now, there is part two. Uh, it's already out there. You can go and listen to that right away. It's anfieldindex.com forward slash join, and you can get a seven-day free trial of Anfield Index Pro with no obligation to continue. Of course, if you do that, as well as getting our whole uh, Let's Talk About Six uh, podcast series, which is out there now, you can also listen to Jurgen Klopp Part 2, and you can listen to the same show, Kings of Europe, on Allison and Trent Alexander-Arnold, and all of the shows that are to come will be on AI Pro as well. Uh, we do hope you enjoy listening to it as much as we've enjoyed making it. Now, we want feedback. We really love feedback, and we've had so much already for the show, mostly on our Discord community. It's a brilliant community. It's completely free to join. It's anfieldindex.com forward slash Discord, which is D-I-S-C-O-R-D. Uh, it's a little bit more inclusive than uh, some of the stuff that goes on on Twitter and Facebook and uh, all of our contributors, most of our podcast uh, hosts are on there as well. So so do come and get engaged with that and we'll look forward to hearing from you there. Of course, we still welcome feedback on the, on the Twitter sphere as well. You can get us at Anfield Index or at Anfield Index Pro. Other than that, we're going to uh, hopefully have some transfer stuff to react to very soon. Uh, we've no inside knowledge we don't claim to have, but of course we will be on the pulse with anything that happens as and when it drops. So uh, we'll wish Liverpool well on the US tour. I'll hopefully be back later in the week uh, with some more off the wall so you can get that continued flavour of the stuff that we do on AFRO. We're very proud of this Kings of Europe show, and as I say, we've enjoyed having all the feedback. Our normal series of shows will be uh, continuing, of course, when the... When the season starts, we'll have our post-match roar back. They'll be under pressure. There'll be our AI scouted show. We can't wait for the for the season to get going. I, I know Liverpool had a very short pre-season this year, but it still feels quite long when there's no football. I know I've been enjoying the cricket, the tennis, and all these other things, but there's nothing quite like Liverpool being back in action. So until next time, up the rings. Podcast Network.